Awesome. Well, it is uh, always great to have Ted Hansen here. Uh, I know many of you know Ted Hansen. He's been here a couple times anyways, and we always really appreciate your ministry all the way from Bellingham and also speaks in various places in the world. So uh, just saying he spends a lot of time teaching in Portugal. There's any Portuguese people here, I don't know, but uh, welcome, Ted Hansen. great to be with you. It's always great to be in the Kootenays. It's usually hot this time of the year when I'm here, so I appreciate you turning the heat down a little bit. So I don't know who turned the heat down, me or you, because I came from the cooler part of the world, but anyway, it's great. And uh, send you greetings from the United States. And uh, my wife is with me, Bonnie. She's the better half. We've been together for 42 years and uh, have some great fruit in children and grandchildren who uh, are doing good things on planet Earth. And so uh, some of you I know, and maybe some of you are new to me. Uh, I've been a believer for 46 years. I'm 64 years old on planet this year, but 46 years old in Christ. And I love him more every year. And I hope that's your testimony as well, that you get to know him more and more. Uh, this morning, I, I want to talk to you about knowing who you are. Knowing who you are. Uh, our perceptions of God really determine our perceptions of ourselves. Uh, I like the book of Malachi is the last word that God said to, in the Old Testament, before he went silent for 430 years, and then he showed up in a little manger in the form of the word of God in flesh, Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem. But the last words that he said was, he said, if I'm your father, where's my honor? And he said that to a group of people who were trying with all their heart to do the best they could in a law system, but their perception of God was less than who he really was. Their perception of God was God. God is a less perception than who he really is. He is God. But who he is is Father. If he's just God, you can be a slave or a servant. But if he's Father... You can become a son or a daughter. If you see him as a God, you can all your life be in bondage under a wrong perception of what his heart really is. But if you see him as your father, it changes everything. And that's what God wanted. He said, you, you don't get it. You don't understand that I'm your father. And he said, because of that, Malachi 2, he says, because of that, you live for the wrong purposes. You live for ministry. You live for your own agendas. You don't live for me, and you don't live for the future generations. But I'm going to fix it. Malachi 3 and 4, I'm going to send the messenger. And he's going to be a refiner's fire. He's going to change you from the inside out. He's going to be a fuller soap. He's going to wash off the blood stains and the filth that's on you that's not really you. You see, sin is not what really identifies you. And I'm going to fix it. I'm going to change you inside, and I'm going to change the outside and then what's going to happen is the hearts of the fathers are going to turn toward the children. Because that's who I am. I'm a father who cares about my children. And I'm going to turn the hearts of the children toward the father because that's who you are. You're children of God. And then he went silent for 430 years. And then one day, a little baby was born in Bethlehem who was the word of God made flesh. And I want to talk about that reality today because something as miraculous as a baby 
being born of a virgin in Bethlehem is in this room. It's called the born-again experience of eternal life. Knowing God, your Father, and Jesus Christ, the Son. Not just when you die, but heaven invading your earth right now. And so everything that we say today, everything that God says today, is to me, is to you. So if you point the finger, always pay attention to the three that are pointing back at you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And remember that any word that you hear is God talking to you. He's talking to your neighbor too, but if we tend to our business, we'll tend to all of our business. At the beginning of this year, I began by God giving me some lessons, and I shared this the last time I was in the Kootenays. I didn't get an opportunity to be here at the junction, but I saw some of you, and I was in Castlegar. We had a great time in January. Uh, but at the end of last year, I'm a hunter. I like to hunt. It's one of my grocery stores. Uh, but this year, I'm a vegetarian. I've got a freezer full of uh, fruits and vegetables because last year I didn't harvest a deer and I didn't harvest an elk. But partly why I didn't harvest a deer is because I paid too much attention to my natural world. I'm a bow hunter on deer, and, and at the end of the year, I, I had an opportunity. I only had three days left of hunting. And one of those days, uh, it was raining, sideways rain, because the wind was blowing 35 miles an hour, you know? It, it was blowing really hard, and it was really rainy. And so I reasoned no deer in his right mind would be out in the forest on a rainy, windy day like that. So that's the one day I didn't go hunting. The next day I was in church and the people who own the land where I hunt came and said, oh, pastor, you should have been out there yesterday. There were deer were everywhere where you hunt. <laughs> now, I have a ministry called House of Bread Ministry. It's called House of Bread because when I was 30 years old, so that's 34 years ago, uh, God wrecked me. He called me into ministry and I was resisting it. I was saying, you obviously aren't paying attention. I've never backslid. I've been a worship leader in the church all these years. I'm a good guy. Uh, by the way, my wife knows you and my kids know you. And I got a great job that you gave me. And it's got a great retirement that you set up. And I should be able to retire at 55, walk away with one or two million dollars. By the way, did I remind you, you gave me that job. And, and, uh, and, and, and you know, I've never backslid. And I lead worship in church. You know, I, I tried reasoning with him, uh, and he was calling me to give my life to the nations, to, to cast my bread upon the waters, and to not withhold my seed. He said, I, he said, your heart's hard. You've been feeding your face. I've made you who you are. I've made you bread, and you've been using the bread to feed yourself. So I'm a ministry called House of Bread Ministry because I cast my bread on the water. But Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who considers the rain will not reap. I have no venison in my freezer because I considered the wind and I observed the rain. So I'm here to tell you today that if you have to find out who you are, but in who you are, who you are is meant to be life to your world. Who you are is not meant to get life from the world. You were born for such a time as this to bring life to your world. If you have a bad work situation, I've got really good news for you. You are in your work situation. If your family is all messed up, I've got really good news for you. You are in your family. If your neighborhood is depressing and dark, I've got really good news for you. You live in your neighborhood. 
for such a time as this, just like Jesus was born as the Savior of the world, you're born as an expression of his salvation into your little peace. But if you consider the wind, you won't sow. If you observe the rain, observe the wind, you won't sow. If you consider the wind, you will not reap. So you are going to sow and you are going to reap. Because what's going on around you does not determine your world. What's going on inside of you determines your world. There's a scripture in Genesis 26 where Isaac went out and it says he was in a year of severe famine. That means famine, famine, really bad famine. You know, there's famine and then there's severe famine. It seems to me that famine's pretty severe just on its own definition. Famine, there isn't anything. So if the Bible says severe famine, God's making a point. It means nothing, nothing. You don't even have nothing of nothing. You know, it's nothing, nothing. Severe famine. But it says in a year of severe famine, Isaac sowed and he reaped 100-fold that same year. So Isaac's future was not determined by a year of famine or not. It was determined by Isaac. Okay? I was reminded also at the beginning of this year of the prayer of Jabez. It says of Jabez, and it's in 1 Chronicles 4.10, it says of Jabez that he was born in great sorrow. Ladies uh, who have had babies, does it hurt? <laughs> I'm told it hurts. <laughs> I'm told it's worse than a man cold. I'm told that it hurts. <laughs> so, so if the Bible says it was great pain, we already know it's pain, right, ladies? So if it was great pain, it's like famine, famine. It's pain, pain. It was a difficult situation. And it was, it was so much that this little baby boy came on and his name meant sorrow, grief, pain, Jabez, pain. If you were born in pain and your name ended up being pain, you could be in trouble. Now, a name is a character, a nature, a way, a power, and an authority. Okay, water is called wet. Why? Because it's wet. It has a character, nature, way, power, and authority of wet. If you need wet, it's a good thing to get. Because it has that character. Now, this little boy was born with the name sorrow because of great pain. So he could have settled for a character, a nature, a way, a power, and an authority that would bring sorrow and pain into the world. That was his name. But he chose not to accept that name. He said, Father God, bless me. Expand my borders and don't let me cause any pain. Now, I'm setting that as the foundation for the season called now in your life. Now, knowing who you are has nothing to do with what's going on in the circumstances around you. It has to do with you. So my first question is, what is it that motivates your life? What is it that motivates your life? Or what is the desire of your life? In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there were two basic laws that summed up everything. It was love God with all your heart and love your neighbors, you love yourself. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40, there was a Pharisaic lawyer that came to Jesus and he said, I perceive that he said, I want to know what's the greatest commandment. He's a, he's a lawyer. He's a Pharisee. What's the greatest commandment? So he's been a guy who's committed his whole life.
ripe to questions and answers. A lawyer, a Pharisee. And Jesus said, well, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. All your spirit, soul, and life. And the second commandment is love. It's like the first. It's to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Upon these two commandments depend or rest the entire law and the prophets. But then in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said this. He said, the law and the prophets were until John. But since John, the kingdom of heaven is being preached. And people are pressing into it. In other words, the two commandments, love God with all your spirit, soul, and life. With all of your being. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Were what the law and the prophets depended on. But then Jesus said, now something new has come. The kingdom of heaven's being preached. Not the law. The kingdom of heaven's being preached. And people are pressing into it. Hungry people want it. So then Jesus says this in Luke 13, or John 13, verse 34. He says this not to a Pharisaic lawyer. He says this to his friends. He calls his 12 disciples, his friends, and he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you love one another. Now, that sounds like a commandment, but it's not a commandment. It's a revelation. It's a revelation. He loves me. The more I know he loves me, the more I'm able to love you. So if you are living your life today by two commandments, love God with all your spirit, soul, and strength, and the second, love your neighbor as you love yourself, I've got news for you. Stop it. It's a terrible motivator. You need a stronger motivation than the commandment of love. You need a motivation of a revelation of love. When you know how much God loves you, you'll love your neighbor. Now, I'm not just talking about your born-again experience. I'm talking about your born-again, again, again, again experience. I'm talking about right now, today. Do you know how much God loves you? I'm planning on the rest of my year. Father, I want to know your love. Jesus, show me your love. Show me your love. Wreck me again. Show me how much you love me so that I can love others and I can love myself. The only true motivator of my life is a revelation of God's love. <laughs> a revelation of God's love. It's not doing right things. It's not being free from wrong things. It's having a right revelation of a daddy who loves his children. When I know how much God loves me, I'm able to love my wife more. When I know how much God loves me, I'm able to love my friends more. When I know how much God loves me, I'm able to love my enemies. And I'm not, not going to judge others by what they do or what they don't do. I'm going to make a judgment based on how much I am loved. <laughs> so love has to be a revelation. So the motivation of your life, the motivation of my life, is a revelation of love. Holy Spirit, would you give us a revelation of love that's stronger than the rain that's coming down and the wind that's blowing or the pain that we are experiencing or the famine that we're in? Would you give us a revelation of your love from this moment on like never before? Would you open up the eyes of our heart to see it? 
We give you permission, Holy Spirit, you come in the name of Jesus. Would you show us the love of God? Would you show us your love? Before we even come to you and say, we need to be fixed, would you just show us how much you love? We can work from that place. Second question, what is the focus of your life? What are you looking at? It says in Matthew 6, verse 22, it says the lamp of the body is the eye. So the eye is the lamp of the body. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now, there's another scripture that says the eye is the window of the soul. The eye is not the door to the soul. Now, your soul manifests your thoughts, your reasoning, your emotions, your desires, your imagination. But the eye is not an end gate. It's not a place to get in. It's a place that shines something out. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians. He said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the powers of God and not of ourselves. He said, we have this light shining out of darkness. Do you and I have darkness in our life? Absolutely. But I've got good news. You've got the light of Christ in you shining out of darkness. Now, in 64 years, I have learned one thing. When you turn a light on, darkness is gone. <laughs> Even in the darkest room, you light a candle, and that candle is more powerful than all the darkness in the room. Yeah. Now, there's still darkness in the room, but the most distinct thing now in the room is light. The smallest of light is more powerful than the greatest measure of darkness. Oh, come on. The smallest measure of light is more powerful than the greatest measurement of darkness. Come on. Listen to me, Kootenays. The smallest light is greater than the greatest measure of darkness. A little light shines and darkness flees. Darkness vanishes. And it doesn't kill anybody on its way out. It gets transformed by the power of light. Life is more violent than death. This year I've had to mow my grass more often than before because we've had plenty of rain and it's not quite so hot. And I have to fight life every week. Man, i got to start up the, the, the life cutter, man. I go out there make lots of noise and try to kill life and it comes right back. See, life is more violent than death. So the focus of your life, your eye is the lamp of your body. So in other words, my eye should be shining. There should be something coming out of me, something coming out of you. So if your eye is good, then your whole body is full of light. People see good. When you come, they see good. Oh, I see the good. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, there's, if all you see is bad, people see you and they say, oh, there he comes. Here she comes. Oh, that's, oh, that's bad news. Okay? It's, it's hard to make friends with bad news. If people don't want to be around you, you might want to look in the mirror and see if you're bad news. Okay? Something should be coming off of you that is light, that is light. So if therefore the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, the point of this is, what are you looking at? Now, what you're looking at is not what you're looking at with your eye because the eye is the lamp. You, what, 
are you looking at with your heart? I've taught here before on hearing God. I came and did some activations at one point, and I told you that if we wanted to listen to a radio station, we would get a radio receiver, and we would tune into radio frequencies. This room is filled with them. We can't see them. We may not believe in them. We may say they aren't real, but if we get a right receiver, we can tune into them. Or pictures. This room is full of pictures. We could get a television or that computer, internet connection. We could tune into video pictures. They're here. We don't have to believe in them. They're here. We just have to find the right receiver to tune into the frequency. You know, the receiver for God is a heart. God speaks to the human heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing God speak to your heart. That's the rainbow word. God speaking to you inside. So the eye is the lamp, but the heart is the gate. So what you're looking at with your heart is what determines what people see in your eye. And the truth is, what you're looking at with your heart is what you'll look for with your eye. Do you expect good news or do you expect bad news? Maybe you need to turn the internet off for a day. <laughs> Maybe you just need to take a walk in creation. Creation is less confused than humanity. <laughs> just go consider somebody that's not, that's not quite so smart they become stupid. Go look at a bird. Go, go find a fish. Go find a tree. You know? Go look at some creation that's doing what creation's always done, shining. And still creating and, and, and shining and being. Okay, expect good. Okay, when my grandkids, when they were a little bit younger, they used to come to the door. Some of my younger ones now have moved away to another state, so I have to go there. But they would ring the door. Ding, 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 ding. And they, they would know that I'm going to make noise and get up out of my chair and come and find them. Now, they would hide under a bench. They didn't hide under the bench because they were, they were trying to hide from me. They were hiding because they knew I would come find them. Do you know that God is looking for you? <laughs> Do you live your life going ding, 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 hide under the bench because you know he's coming? Or do you hide under the bench because you're afraid he's going to find you? Okay, if your eye, if your focus is right, you're going to know he's coming to find you and you're, you're glad about that. So that's, what, is, what are you looking at? What is your heart looking at? First question was, what motivates my life? A revelation of love. Second question is, what am I looking at? What's the focus of my life? Now, the third question, what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of your life? In Matthew 6, 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? And body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, I like this phrase because the phrase is including barns and sowing because human beings, you and I, were born for sowing and reaping. Birds were not born to sow and reap. They were born to live in a world that's kept by those who sow and reap. And God takes care of birds. And what is their purpose? You know, bird comes in, I've said it before, comes in the coot and he's, oh, oh, oh. Not looking for his needs to be met. He's looking to live a bird life. Okay? He's not looking for someone else to do it for him. He finds a stick. Oh, oh, picks up a stick, grabs another stick, 
throws it together. Next thing you know, he got a bird nest. Mr. Bird finds Lady Bird. They get married, have babies. All of a sudden, bird stuff happening everywhere. It's not too complicated. Okay, because the bird knows I'm a bird. And I'm, I'm being taken care of. Fox comes into the neighborhood. <laughs> Does it complicated? It just looks for a hole. Not looking for a place to sleep, looking for a place to live. Finds, well, that looks like <laughs> that looks like it'll work and digs a hole. Next thing you know, the fox is living in the ground. Mr. Fox finds a foxy lady. They get together, have fox babies, live a fox life, do fox stuff, influence all the Kootenays with fox activity. Because they know the purpose of a fox. Fox is a fox. Okay. Remember the guy that came to Jesus? He said, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to put his head. He wasn't saying, if you follow me, you'll have to take a poverty vow, and there's no guarantee where you're going to sleep tonight. He was saying, I don't need you to follow me. I need you to know who you are first. You see, the bird's not confused. The bird has a nest and does bird things. The fox is not confused. The fox has a den and does fox things. I'm Jesus. I'm looking for my house. I'm looking for the place to put my head. I'm looking for my body to put my head on. Are you it? I'm not saying you won't know where you're going to sleep tonight. I'm saying, are you the place that I can rest? Can I rest in your life? Because if I rest in your life, now you'll know the purpose of your life. And when you know the purpose of your life, the purpose of your life is not like a bird or a fox. The purpose of your life is to sow and to reap. You were born for barns. So he goes on in this verses of Matthew. He says, which of you worrying uh, can add a single cupid or a single measure to your stature. No, you can't. So uh, he, he says then down in, in verse uh, 31, therefore do not worry saying what shall you eat or what shall you drink or what shall you wear. If you're asking questions, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to live? Am I going to be loved? Those are all questions of people who don't know their purpose. Okay? For after these things Gentiles seek. Now God loves those questions from Gentiles. Gentiles is just a word that means people who don't know God loves them, who don't realize there's a covenant relationship. They're, they're wannabes. Good people who want to be. You got three kinds of people on the earth. Wannabes. You got bees. That's called human beings. And then you got human doo-doos, which generally is religious people who forgot about being and got too busy doing. And they forgot about purpose because they think purpose is what I do, and they don't realize purpose is in who I am. Now I can do lots of things, and what I do will take on the testimony of who I am. <laughs> because I was meant to be a human being, a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God. Okay? Now, Gentiles, people who don't know God, they pray like this. Help, help. What will I eat? Help. What will I do? You love me? Who love me? Help, help. I want to belong. I want to belong. What will I eat? What will I wear? God loves those prayers. That's called people who don't know God prayers. But he gets a little tired of people who know him praying those prayers all the time. 
Because what he thinks is, man, I wish they would get a revelation of who they are. Then quit praying this. I already know that stuff. I'm going to take care of all that. They need to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not an external kingdom, people. If you're praying, God, when will your kingdom come? You need to remember what Jesus said. He said the kingdom of God does not come by observation. The kingdom of God is inside of you. And then you need to remember what Paul said when he said the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It's not what you eat or what you drink or what you do or what you don't do. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Something inside of you. Now, when I came to Jesus 46 years ago, I had some truth. That was, Jesus loves me. I didn't have a lot of truth. I had a lot of perceptions of what I thought was truth. And in my 46 years as a believer, every year I lose more perceptions of what I thought I knew. And I'm actually better with the phrase, I don't know. I actually like that phrase. I don't know. I used to know all about uh, heaven and hell, and I used to know all about what God, what God does and what he doesn't. I used to know all that stuff. Now i got a whole lot of areas where I don't know. But here's what I do know. I'm in growing and knowing him, and I know he's good, and I know he loves me, and I know that he's a father, and I know that he's good, and I know that he loves me, and I know that I have a purpose, and that's to bring his influence into this earth. When I came to Jesus, I thought King Jesus came to King Ted and killed King Ted. But what I've discovered is when King Jesus came to King Ted, King Ted willingly died. In the same way that King Jesus willingly died so that I could come to him. And when I willingly died, I found out he didn't want me to die. He rose me from the dead and he gave me a life called the life of Ted. And I'm still a king. But I'm not a king like the kings of this world. I'm still a lord. But I'm not a lord like the lords of this world. I'm a king like my king of kings. And I'm a lord like my lord of lords. You see, the kingdoms of this world will not just one day become the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ. The kingdom of Ted has already become a kingdom of his Lord in Christ. And every year the kingdom of Ted increasingly becomes a kingdom of his Lord in Christ. And I accept the responsibility of my life. Psalms 8 says, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you should consider him. And no longer am I blaming God if my marriage fails. He's not the one that's in control of my marriage. I am. He's in charge. He owns it. And if I don't get intimate with the one in charge, I'll screw up what I'm in control of. And then I can't blame some sovereign God. Well, God's in control. Everything has a purpose. Come on, think about it. God's not in control. He's in charge. You're in control of many things. Is he sovereign? He sure can be. But he would sure rather not be. He'd rather be loving. He'd rather be intimate. He'd rather say, say, listen, there's a lot of stuff that I've given you the leeway to do. Do I want you to do it? Not really. But I'm, I, you know, it looks like I bless things that I shouldn't bless. But that's just my love for you. And I want that stuff to fix. But I love you more than fixing the stuff. Now, I would really like you to get a revelation of the stuff fixed because it would help you be a better you and help me, you be a fuller you. But you're still my child. You're still my son, my daughter. I love you just like you are. Do I want you to stay that way? No, I'd really like you to get a revelation that you're a king, that you're a lord, and that your world would change. 
hey, I got it. You're going to heaven when you die. I love you, but I would really like to invade your earth with heaven's grace. I would really like to fill your space with resurrection life. I would really like your family to flourish and be blessed. I would really like your territory to be filled with the influence of life. And I'd put my kingdom inside of you so that the external kingdom of you can be a reflection of the internal kingdom of me. You see, I've given you righteousness in the Holy Spirit. A right relationship with me, spirit to spirit. Not soul to spirit, spirit to spirit. I want to flood your spirit with my spirit so that your spirit floods your soul. And now your thoughts begin to be life-giving thoughts. Your imagination begins to become life imaginations. And now you start putting that to action in your life. I'm not going to grab you like a puppet and move your arms. I'm not going to take your vocal cords and make you speak. I really would like to stir your spirit, and I'd like you to willingly embrace that righteousness in the Holy Spirit so that you begin to, I can't help but speak. You begin to put your hands doing good things. You begin to, to, to become what I, I know you are. And you've got peace in the Holy Spirit. There's no gap between you and me. Everything that's in heaven, you've got access to my refrigerator. You've got access to my cupboard. Whatever's in there, you've got. There's no gap between me and you. So what's in heaven should be spilling out of you and dripping off your feet. There should be the smell of pomegranates, fruit of the Spirit. There should be the noise of bells, charisma of the Spirit. <coughs> you should be enough evidence to be convicted of being a priest. And also, you've got joy in the Holy Spirit. Hey, joy is not happiness. Joy is purpose. Joy works on an unhappy day. You see, when you lose everything, but you still remember your purpose. And you remember that God is partnering with you in everything. He's got joy in the Holy Spirit. So, what is your purpose in life? Your purpose is to seek first the kingdom of God. Let me give you uh, some other verses that are great. And these would be good verses to meditate this week for your purpose. And it's Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 5. Just down to 10, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, I'm 46 years old in Christ. My heart keeps getting bigger. That's not true for, for people who grow old. But old people who don't grow old, it's true. <laughs> old is a state of mind. Listen to me, guys. You are eternal. Okay, listen to it again. You are eternal. You cannot grow old. Now, your body is, is, is your body's wearing out. <laughs> okay. But you're not wearing out. Here's the really good news. Your body's wearing out, but God's got that taken care of too. Okay, he's got incorruptible parts. He's got a body for you that's beyond the body that you have. So the body is essential. He just, he's just got one that ain't wearing out like this one. So now, since you are you and you are destined for a body that doesn't wear out, the body that you're in should not have a soul that wears out. And the only way that your body's going to have a soul that wears out is if your spirit wears out. So your spirit should be joined to Holy Spirit 
so that your spirit never wears out. It continually comes alive and it floods your soul. And you know, some of the most amazing people are happy old people. <laughs> Tender old people, old people who cry. Hey, old men that cry, old men that laugh, imagine. Oh, let's go even more miraculous, you ready? Oh, how do you, what are you, Kootenians? <laughs> I don't know what you call a, a, somebody from the Kootenians. Are you a Kootenian? You're just learning who we are. You're just learning who we are. Okay. Well, very good. Okay, we're learning who we are in the Kootenians. One thing we don't want to do is be old learning who you are. It's a good point. We're learning who we are. Since we're learning who we are, that requires us to constantly stay young. Because if you don't stay young, we can't learn anymore. So we're learning who we are, and we're becoming alive inside. So God doesn't want you to expect you to trust God with someone else's heart. He just wants you to trust God with all your heart. You're going to have a bigger heart tomorrow, but you don't have to trust him with the heart you have tomorrow. All you got to do is trust him with the heart you have today. Now, all your heart is going to include that little measure that you're not sure you can. You trust him with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways, not anybody else's ways, just your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be so smart. Be in awe of the Lord. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Don't war against evil. Just depart from it. Okay, if I come to evil, I say, you're evil. Get out of here, evil. Get out of here, evil. Depart from evil. Sometimes, some, some, you got to pick your battles. If you're battling the devil all day long, you've been too busy with the devil. You should get, you should dial up on your phone, God, and you should be so be so busy talking to God. When the devil tries to call, he gets a busy signal. If he's getting through to you all the time, you ain't talking to God enough. You got an open line. <laughs> okay? Fear the Lord, and, 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 and you'll be in health to your flesh. It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, verse 9 Honor the Lord with your possessions. Now, what do you possess? Well, you possess money, okay? but you also possess an attitude. Sometimes you possess a good one, sometimes you possess a bad one. But you possess your attitude. You possess your thoughts. You own your thoughts. You own your attitude. You own your finances. You own your world. Okay, honor the Lord with your world. Honor the Lord with everything that you possess. In other words, let what you possess be a testimony of God first. Be a testimony of God's life. And with the first fruits of your increase. In other words, life is going to continue to happen. New things, first things. And when the first thing comes, give it to God. Honor God with your first. Why? So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I grew up on a dairy farm. We had Holstein cows. Those are the black and white ones. We had a couple of Guernseys, the brown ones. We did that so we'd have chocolate milk. But uh, <laughs> we, we, had, we had cows, we had pigs, we had chickens. Now, we were not cow collectors. We were milk producers. We were not chicken collectors. Well, I was, but my dad wasn't. <laughs> we were egg producers, and, and 
roast chicken producers. We had pigs. We were pig producers. We were pork producers. Now, we did that because we wanted our barns to be full. Barns are not places that provide for you. They're places of you that provide for others. Vats are different than bottles. Vats produce bottles. Vats produce wine and outward testimony for somebody else. You were born as a barn. You were born as a vat. Thank God there was one human being born in the right place. Everybody else was born in a house thinking then life is about my comfort place. I was born in a house. Now I live for a house. I live, where's my right house? Where are my needs going to be met? Where's my right house? Okay? But if you were born in a barn like Jesus, you would know, wait a minute, I was born in a house of bread, in a city called House of Bread, in a barn that's a place of bread, meat and bread. Why? Because I'm a human being. I'm a child of God, and I was born to bring life to my world. And I want my barns to be full and my vats to overflow. Seek first the kingdom of God, and your barns will be full and your vats will overflow. The fourth and final question. What are the actions of your life? What are the actions of your life? Okay. So the first question was, what motivates your life? A revelation of love. Holy Spirit, give us a revelation of how much you love us. Wreck us this week. Would you wreck me this week, God, in a good way? Would you show me your love so that I can love? What is the focus of your life? God, would you let me see you every corner I turn, in every place I look? Would you even let me see when I look at sinners, would I see you and not the sinner? When I look in the mirror and I see my flaws, could I see you and not my flaws? God, I'm not a project. I'm your child. And if my eye is focused on you, I will become what I'm looking at. <clears throat> so help me, Holy Spirit, to have a right focus so that I'm not looking to see that I'm a project. See, if I see, if I, truth is, if I look at others and thinking they're a project, sinners are a project, they gotta get saved, Oh, believers are a project. They got to get saved. <laughs> you understand what I just said? <laughs> Humans are a project. I, they got to get changed. Okay. You know, I, I'm, I used to be the prophet. They said his nose was so sharp it cut diamonds. And God made me go to a restaurant where everything was crooked because I hate crooked things. He'd make me go have lunch at this place that was sinking in the ground and all the pictures were crooked the chairs were crooked. And he would do that. He'd say, go have lunch at the shrimp shack. And I'd say, everything's crooked at the shrimp shack. <laughs> he says, yeah, but they got really good food at the shrimp shack. See, you could focus on the crooked chairs or you could realize they make the best shrimp po' boys at the shrimp shack. And then I said, well, who do I take? He said, nobody. I just want you to go have lunch at the shrimp shack. And I did that until I learned to love crooked things. Okay, and when I went to the shrimp shack and I quit looking at the crooked chairs and I quit looking at the crooked walls and I quit looking at the crooked tables and I quit looking at the doors that couldn't open and doors that couldn't close and I started just enjoying my clam chowder. Then I knew that my focus has changed. Okay, so what's the purpose of your life? You are created for barns and vats. Something of you is bread to the nation. Something of you is life to someone else. 
I'm going to seek first your kingdom. Inside of me is righteous peace and joy. That internal kingdom is going to affect the external kingdom of me. Everything I do. So now the fourth question is, what are the actions of my life? John 7, verse 37, Jesus said, anybody thirsty? Let them come to me. And from inside of them will flow rivers of living water. I like to say it this way. From inside of you will flow rivers of life-giving water. He didn't say, come to me and drink and you'll be satisfied. He said, come to me and drink and you'll be a life-giver. When you become a life-giver, you will be satisfied. If you are not living with the purpose of being a life-giver, you will never be satisfied. What is your purpose? Your purpose, your, your purpose is to seek first the kingdom of God so that every action of your life is an action of life-giving. 1 Corinthians 10.24, Paul says this. He says, he says what, in verse um, 23, all things are lawful for me. Now listen, Paul. Paul, the law of law of law guy. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. I can do anything, but the question is, should I? I can live my lifestyle any way I want. The question is, should I? God's love is enough to save you into heaven by faith, simply by believing, but he wants the actions of your life to match what you're believing. So all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not everything edifies. So let each one not seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. What am I going to do this year when I know who I am? I'm going to constantly live for the well-being of others. And every action, every action, every action that I take is going to be for the well-being of others. What can I do? How can I help? How can I help? How can I bring life? How can I help? Romans 12, 1 through 3 says this. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. I'm begging you, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's holy. It's acceptable to God. Some translations say it's your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't act like the world. Don't condemn the world. For God's sake, they're already condemned. Don't condemn the world. Hey, listen to me. Don't condemn the world. There's somebody's already got the job of convicting, and it's not you. That job's been filled. Holy Spirit's got the job. He does a great job. Man, he was so good at it in my life. Was he in yours? Man, I was undone by him. He convicted me. He didn't condemn me. I already had that taken care of. And when, matter of fact, when he convicted me, I condemned, I confessed all the stuff that was condemning me. He didn't say, no, confess all the things that are condemning you. No, he convicted me. I automatically confessed all the stuff that was condemning me. And then I begged him to come into my life thinking he might not. I woke up the next day, the angel of superglue glued my mouth in a smiling position. He came into my life. <laughs> so present your body a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't think like the world. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be metamorphosed. It's a process. It's a growing process. That you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, what does that mean? Thinking more highly in yourself is simply thinking outside of the boundaries of who you are. Okay? No one is better than anyone, and no one is less than anyone. You are the greatest one and only on planet Earth. And your father is the greatest one and only father of all. And is the greatest one and only you. Don't think yourself out from the boundaries of who you really are. Don't try to be someone you are not. Mind your business and say, whoa, here I am. I present my body. And I'm not just talking about Sunday church. I'm talking about seven days a week. 24 hours a day, I am a life giver and every action that I'm going to take in this world of mine is going to be an action to give life. Now, actions won't make you who you are. You can try to do all the right things, but if those actions are not the fruit of life in you, they're not life-giving actions, you'll never become you. You have to know who you are in order to have the fruit of the actions. Actions, law doesn't change you. It only restrains you. Law is true. It's a shadow of something good. But there has to be something good that casts the shadow. And when you become what the shadow says is good, you cast a shadow that looks like the law. But you're not under it. It's under you. So, Father God, would you help us be who we are? I think we're in a great season, God, on planet Earth. You're stripping trees bare. You're stripping forests bare. You're showing that what can be birthed from us, the little deer that's born in the forest or the oak tree that puts forth its shoot, the life that happens because of us is more important than the forest we find ourselves in. So, God, thank you that you are bringing lots of things to the light, good and bad. And would you help us be your people in this season and in this time? God, would you bring blessings to this church at the junction and the churches in the Kootenai here, the expressions of your family, all of us as your sons and your daughters? Would you help us know who we are? Would you help us get a revelation of a right motivation, a revelation of love? Would you help us with our focus so that we are constantly looking at you would you help us with our purpose so that we seek first the kingdom of God in all things? And would you help us with our actions, that all of our actions will be actions of life? I pray this in Jesus' name, and I thank you for your testimony that the people of God are going to be seen in the earth. And that many, 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 many people who don't know you yet are going to be translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. And the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, the glory of you, God, as the waters presently cover the sea. The evidence of eternal last Adam is going to outweigh the evidence of old and temporary Adam. In Jesus' name.